Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hey, Jordan Harbinger here. Subscribe to the only show that will show you how to apply the world's greatest ideas from the most striking minds. After presenting more than a thousand interviews, I couldn't be more compelled to introduce you to the Jordan Harbinger Show. We've got spies and CEOs, athletes and authors from Kobe Bryant to Malcolm Gladwell, Tony Hawk and Howie Mandel to the chairman of Google, founders of LinkedIn and Instagram, antiquities smugglers, con men, brilliant scientists, national heroes, and even the head of the CIA. Listed as Apple's best of 2018 and countless other awards that, let's be honest, you probably don't care about right now. So come and have a listen for yourself and join me as we exploit the superpowers of the world's most incredible thinkers, amazing achievers, and iconic change makers with their insights delivered right into your mind. You'll get that blueprint of their brilliance each week so that you can learn to live what you listen. Subscribe right now to The Jordan Harbinger Show, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you're listening now. Napa know-how. At Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers, get a $25 prepaid Visa card when you get any Napa automotive battery. It's the best deal for some of the best batteries from some of the best car people around. But we might be a little partial. Anywho, pick up any Napa automotive battery and save 25 bucks. Do it yourself or have it done for you. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care Centers. While supplies last, offer ends 831.20. Hello, everyone. Welcome back for a brand new episode of The Witching Hour. You already see what's happening here. I am Perry Nemirov. There is my co-host, Haley Fouch. And right now, we are having a Skype conversation with the one and only Robert England. Robert, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, as well as can be expected in these perilous times. It looks like you're in pretty good company while we're all self-quarantining. So that's, that's a plus. Yes, it is. I mean, you know, I'm, I'll tell you, uh, it, it just thank goodness for all of the programming out there. I've been binge, binge, binging, and there's been some great stuff, and it just keeps us off the street and away from everybody, and it gives our doctors and our hospitals a chance to catch up so they can Absolutely. deal with this thing. Yeah, I was going to ask, I mean, it's sort of a strange time to do this kind of an interview. You are first Skype guest on Witching Hour, so thank you. And uh, how are you, like, keeping your spirits up and practicing self-care during all of this? Well, I was on the road. I was in Europe, and I got my butt back home just under the wire. And then I was neurotically nervous for two weeks, you know, because that's that, that time you find out if you've got it or not. And I'd been in airports in London, and I'd been in airports in Los Angeles, and uh, so I was a little nervous because I'm an old dog, um, but I'm a healthy guy. And, Na- and my wife, Nancy, was with me. So we kept an eye on it. We just we've been home now since early March. And so we started staying at home real early. Now we have to go out, you know, for groceries. Uh, but we've been real careful. But, you know, it's spring. And I've been telling everybody you're stuck at home. But if you've got a little balcony and you can grow a flower on it, or if you've got a little deck or a little backyard, or you can take, you know, walks around your neighborhood and watch spring happen, then go home and 
cuddle up on the couch, you know, with that old Afghan or that old comfy children's <laughs> blanket that you have that makes you feel secure. And then you can binge, you know, and I just got through. I mean, I just did Ozarks. We just finished Ozark, which is brilliant, you know, uh, and I'm looking forward. One of my favorite shows in recent years has been uh, Penny Dreadful. Oh, yeah. which I just loved. And uh, I, I love the idea of putting all of the creatures together in turn of the century London. And I watched it with subtitles. So if I had Cockney accents or, or, or Birmingham or North English accents, I could understand it. And uh, I've been using subtitles a lot. It really helps, especially if you're watching Scandinavian noir, you know, serial killers in Volvos in Sweden, Blood in the snow, and uh, it, it helps if you you know you watch the subtitles and you you get into the rhythm of their language and and you know all the plot points. You can juggle all the characters. I love binging, and uh, we, we we just finished Narcos Mexico, which is great. I discovered a new character actor on that. I love. I've been tweeting about him, but I'm really looking forward to Penny Dreadful, and it's coming on in April. So that's great. It's something to look forward to while we're all staying at home, you know, eating peanut butter and jelly and tuna fish sandwiches. And uh, and I noticed, though, that when I binge, it's like reading a book sometimes, a couple of hours in a row. And, and you got all those characters and all those plots juggling. And I also like watching what I call comfort food TV sometimes. And that might be, you know, Debt for me, deadliest catch or a dateline episode, you know, something like we all have our own. And I'm I'm thinking my new show, True Terror, is a great kind of comfort food show. Uh there's that aspect of formula to it. We have three segments per episode. Um, I'm a host, but I'm also a narrator. Uh we're trying to kind of group the segments thematically now a little bit we we realized after we'd done 18 of them that we could pair some of them up you know trio some of them up and uh it's that kind of show where you know you can watch a segment you can run down make yourself a sandwich come back watch <laughs> the next one if one of the three intrigues you you can go google it and 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 find even more cool stuff because some of these all of ours come from 19th and early 20th century so there's that historical distance and it doesn't necessarily give them credibility but it does give them that hindsight of history you know which which makes it more palatable the fact that maybe we know more now we're more sophisticated we're more educated we're not as superstitious our science is better our medicine medicine is better but there's still these strange things that they were all sourced from newspaper articles and it gives you this this kind of insight into the american psyche what we what we surrendered to and believed in and put up with uh, with our superstitions and perhaps our ignorance a hundred years ago and i love that it's just another way of looking at history you know source the urban legend have you ever narrated an audiobook because watching this show and hearing you host it it made me think like I want you to read me a book. Well, I did. I did a great series of, of CDs uh, with Doug Bradley, who plays Pinhead. And Doug has a beautiful voice. Mm -hmm. And Doug and I did H.P. Uh, Lovecraft stories. 
and uh, they came out pretty well. Uh, and, and that's some fun listening. I, I've been giving it to uh, some family members that are some some young family members because they can listen to those and then read the H.P. Lovecraft or, or the other things, and they can do book reports on it. You know, uh, that is the perfect thing stories. for me to listen to right now because it does feel like like Lovecraft is finally getting its time well, to shine on TV and in film more so than it ever has. Well, it's like Poe. It's like Edgar Allan Poe. You know, it that stuff's just we all it it holds up. It, there's something really like Shakespeare. I mean, those those plots uh, and and that imagination is has been tested. Um, I, I did a, a a John Saul novel, Preacher, once years ago too, and I narrated a famous Warner Brothers movie directed by the great John Milius, uh, who wrote the the most famous scene in Jaws. Uh, about the sharks eating the naval men whose boat had been bombed in World War II uh, in the air carrier sinking. Uh, Robert Shaw's great monologue uh, that he does in that. So John, I did a John Millius film called Big Wednesday, and I narrate that. I pinched my nose and did my Southern California surfer boy voice, but it's very poetic. So it's that that nasal surfer boy voice doing a kind of poetry about a a wonderful innocent time on the California beaches in the late fifties and early sixties. And, uh, you know, I narrated a a lot of, uh, uh, fear clinic as well. The film fear clinic that I did began as webisodes and then we made it into a feature film, but, uh, yeah, I, I like it. I, I mean, it's, it's one of my favorite things about true terror is, is narrating and hosting on camera, trying to find that blend between, the conversational, the theatrical, you know, and, and, and the matter of fact, you know, in 1865, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And then you also have to like slide into the dark and kind of occult theatrical elements of it as well. Are you a, a fan in general of sort of urban legends and these passed down stories that, that we create as culture and people? I know Perry's really into that aspect. Just of a little bit. Yeah. Well, I did the movie uh, Urban Legend with uh, Jared Leto, and I did the real famous urban legend from my generation about the famous uh, commercial child actor who died in Vietnam, which wasn't really true. Uh, like Leave It to Beaver died in Vietnam. And that's not really true. There's all kinds of urban legends. And and like the most widespread one, I guess, you know, like there's the line from Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, Freddie says, every town has an Elm Street. And uh, the, 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 there's every town actually does have a hook man, a man with a hook hand on Lover's Lane. Uh, and, and it's weird because when I travel and do movies all over the, especially post Freddy Krueger, when I'm on location for a movie in the American South or in the American Northeast or up in Vancouver, Canada or somewhere, they're always, they always think I want to know, you know, the urban legend. And they'll always tell me the one about the guy that fed the dead bodies to the pigs, you know, the prostitute fed the prostitutes to the pigs, you know, Oh, I don't know if I want to know that before my lunch break, you know, or, or they'll tell me the hook man. But I mean, I hear the hook man, everybody, every lover's lane and every, and you know what that was? It was like footloose. It was like the town fathers and the police and everybody making it up to scare the kids 
to get them off Lover's Lane. And every town's Lover's Lane. Sometimes it was the golf course. Sometimes it was an overlook on a mountain over a national park that was beautiful. And you take the girl up there. You, you never, it was always different, but you can tell how that story permeated American culture. But then there's ones that are unique to different places. And some of them are, are based on American, uh, 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 Native American folklore, in fact, which even I think if you really sourced it right, and I, I'm not a big fan of the Bigfoot stuff, but even if you sourced it right, I think you'd realize that Sasquatch, the Sasquatch legends go way back hundreds of years in, in North American uh, uh, Native American culture and oral tradition. And our episode, our critters, true, true terror critters episode, which was, I think, last week. But, but that, when we did our Bigfoot, our Sasquatch, I hate the word Bigfoot, ours is sourced from newspaper articles and from the president of the United States, Theodore Roosevelt, a hundred years ago. And every time, excuse me, you get a source with that much integrity or without much historical distance, it just, it at least helps you understand why it stood the test of time, why it's been around so long, because it, it happened way before that cheesy drive-in movie, you know, the legend of Boggy Creek, you know, with, with some guy running around in a gorilla suit shot on 16 millimeter film, you know, trying to convince you that Bigfoot's in Yosemite, you know? So I, I like that historical distance on all of our stories. Uh, I, I think that really uh, gives it some cred uh, or respect to some of these stories. Do any of those stories actually get under your skin? Like of the ones that have aired thus far, is there any one that you can't quite shake? Because even with all the genre material I watch, it, it was the coffin story that really freaked me out more than I thought it ever could. Well, that's a pretty easy one. I'll tell you why. It, that one works on me as well, but it works on all of us because it's one of those primal. And I know this from playing Freddie and, and a dream analysis class at UCLA a hundred years ago when I was in, you know, hanging out there um, that we all share certain nightmares and dreams, uh, the fear of drowning, the fear of falling, the flying dream uh, uh, and, and the being buried alive plays into the fear of, of, of suffocation which we all have as human beings, wherever you're from, whether you're, you know, uh, uh, living in Alaska or whether you're living in Africa, we have that dream. Uh, whatever culture you're from has that dream. And the buried alive, there's two elements about that. One is, I, again, what I just said, that historical distance. You know, it's the smallpox. But it, it happened before that. It happened in Europe during the Black Plague as well. Uh, they medicine was not advanced enough. There were people that they thought were dead that weren't, but it was more than that. It's also corruption and greed and evil. There were people in cahoots with coroners and there were coffin makers getting paid per capita by the head. And there were guys driving the coffin to the cemetery, getting paid for that route. And there were guys at the graveyard digging graves, grave diggers. They were all getting paid to get rid of these bodies. And imagine a hundred years ago, without all of the medical advancements that we have today, how many people were nailed in there. And, you know, if you saw that episode, you saw the bell inside the coffins. 
they literally were manufacturing coffins with bells inside in case people came to and had to let you know that they were still alive to get them out. Don't bury me alive. That was an invention. That was an actual invention in our country. And that's where phrases come from that, you know, bell ringer, saved by the bell. You know, those expressions come from that. We don't, you know, we don't, we think it's from boxing, but that's really where it started. You know, uh, that, that saved by the bell. Somebody, you know, oh my God. I'm, I'm, a, just, I'm a 90s kid. Sitcom. It wasn't, it wasn't the, uh, the, the sitcom series. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite TV shows just got really dark. <laughs> Well, it, 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 it became it, it began to mean many things. It became a boxing phrase, too, that you didn't get knocked out because you were saved by the bell. But it originally began with the bell in the coffins. God, <laughs> does does anything really scare you? Like, actually, to go back a little, because we do like to start at the beginning with our guests sometimes. And I always just love hearing the story of what inspired someone to get into genre. So is there any particular memory from, you know, when you were a little kid and you were exposed to a horror movie for the first time that you think now, wow, thankfully I saw that movie then because that's what put me on this path. Yeah, you know, I, I was a snob for years. I was a theater actor. And I did the classics and I was trained and I was English trained. And uh, you serve the writer first, then the director, then yourself. Americans tend to serve themselves, the actor first, then the, then the director, then the writer. Uh, it's just a different priority. But when I was, before I became a Shakespearean actor and doing George Bernard Shaw and Moliere and Harold Pinter and, and the classics. And, and, and before that, Robert England, there was little Robbie England, the kid from the San Fernando Valley who lived down the street from Clark Gable, you know, and his mom and dad went to uh, major studio previews right down the street at the movie theater down the road from our house. And so I knew about movies and I loved movies and they were part of my parents' life and they were part of my life. Hollywood was. We would see Clark Gable at the, at the, at the local market. And it wasn't a supermarket then. It was just a little mom and pop market, you know, where everybody that lived in that neighborhood went. Whether you were a famous movie star or, or you know, just a regular person like my parents. And Hollywood movies, I had relatives that were in the business. They were working on famous television shows took me behind the scenes and I saw them. And my great experiences were, I went to see, my mother loved James Mason. I saw the premiere of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Captain Nemo, the Nautilus submarine, Jules Verne, the giant squid. And my first horrific memory is the tentacle of the giant squid coming down the hatch of the Nautilus and grabbing and wrapping around the sailor and lifting him up and covering his face and flinging him down the hatch. And he had these giant sucker blisters all over his face from where the suckers on the inside of the tentacle had suctioned onto him. Freaked this cowboy out. Little Robbie England never wore those underwear again. But I loved it. So guess what happens right after that? Right after that, I go to opening week at Disney. Disneyland with my cousins that are invited because they're in show business 
They're working on all these famous TV shows that are on in the in the 50s on American television. I get to go with them because they've got the ticket to Disneyland. And I see the cutaway. Half of the Nautilus is there with a recording of Kirk Douglas singing, I got a whale of a tail to tell you, lads, a whale of a tail or two. You know, mermaid. So I'm hearing that. I'm seeing Peter Lorre's costume. Kirk Douglas's shirt with the stripes on it. James Mason's beautiful brocade jacket. And I'm looking at the set. It's the absolute submarine from the movie. And there's the giant round window that's like an eye. It's like a kaleidoscope and it opens up. And there, outside the eye, while you're on the set of the submarine, eight years old or seven years old or however old I was, I'm looking at the giant squid. And it's underwater and the seaweed is moving back and forth. And you don't see the monofilaments holding the giant tentacles. And you see the beak and you hear it clicking. The beak of the squid and his big eye blinking animatronically. Walt Disney, it's the real squid they used in the movie. And so I saw that behind the scenes thing. Uh, hook in my mouth. I'm like a caught fish now. I love that stuff. And then shortly after that, I'm mowing lawns. I take my allowance and I go down the street to the Saturday matinee. Double bills. Kids would go see double bills. And uh, one of the double bills I saw at the Saturday matinee, Forbidden Planet. Oh, with Robbie the Robot. And it's Shakespeare's The Tempest turned into a sci-fi themed show about a father and a daughter abandoned on a planet, marooned on a planet with an ancient culture beneath the surface of the planet. And their robot, which is Caliban, the monster from Shakespeare's The Tempest. And in this movie, there is an animated creature that is a manifestation of walter pigeon he's the actor playing uh the equivalent of prospero the magician he's the scientist magician scientist scientist magician and his ego manifests itself because he's going crazy and it can get in this fortress of a 1950s fabulous house on a sci-fi planet with 50s art direction and they show it but remember, this is the 1950s. There is no pause button. There is no replay. You can't see it again. It's one time only with your lawn mowing money at the Saturday matinee with your Chico's bonbons and your half a carton of hot buttered popcorn and your big gulp cola and your old paper straw. And you're sitting there. What is it? What is it? And all of my friends and I, we went back three weekends in a row. We couldn't figure out what it was. And I'm sitting in class one day and that kid in class that draws the best who you pay him lunch money to draw the eyeball on a fork with flames or your favorite cartoon Frankenstein doodle on the on the binder of your blue three ring binder with holes for your school paper in it. And in the back of the class, we're all sitting there disciplined at our little molded desks with our pencils and our books in the book rack, equidistant, social distancing from that person in front of you so you can't pull her pigtails. And in the back of the class, Ronnie Walker, the guy that drives better than anybody goes, God damn, 
it's a saber-toothed tiger. We all jump up and we all run back and look over Ronnie's shoulders. And he's perfectly drawn on his line schoolbook paper, the outline of a giant muscular saber-toothed tiger, the monster of the id of Walter Pigeon in Forbidden Planet. So now this is a turning point in my life because it's special effects. It's cool special effects. Then my friend Ronnie solved it and doodled it so we know what it was. So those are my big, those are the big ones for me that I saw that really knocked my socks off. And uh, this will go away. <laughs> oh, good. She got it. Okay. Um, she answered it. It's better than the dog barking. The dog barking. <laughs> I guarantee you heard your so, dog so barking on this end and Haley yeah. soon. <laughs> Forbidden Planet and, and, and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. These are my early, early ones. Now, later on, I became a connoisseur of Hammer films. And I became uh, uh, Christopher Lee, oh my God, and Peter Cushing, and Herbert Lom, and Barbara Steele. And then after that, uh, I would there would be independent horror movies that would that would wind up in the drive-ins, but there were really there were some really good ones. Uh, I remember one uh, 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 horrors of the Black Museum, and it began with a guy getting a pair of binoculars in the mail, and he looked in them, and nails came out in his eyes. Oh, it was a way of killing somebody by mail. That freaked me out. But I, then I began to catch up on the classics shortly after that. You'd go to sleepovers with your cheap Sears sleeping bag at your friend's house on Friday after school. And after the parents had gone to sleep, we'd all wake up and sneak into the den. The den. Ooh, that's the room with the big color TV. And we'd watch late night midnight the midnight movies you know and we'd watch frankenstein and we'd watch you know king kong unedited unedited you, they still had some of the weird you could still see fay ray's nipples and you could still see what else i remember you in you'd still in frankenstein you'd see him break the little girl's neck when he was doing the flowers and throw her in the lake that stuff was still in it they hadn't censored it yet you know that's what one thing that was great about 50s television even though everything was in black and white but uh yeah and and so then i started and so i was a fanboy my my godfather had a coffee table book he was a a guy worked for um simon and schuster and there was a two-page fold a giant massive heavy coffee table book i could barely lift it and there was two pages of small one inch by one inch images of all of the different makeups and faces that Lon Chaney, the man of a thousand faces, had used. And including one where he literally took the placentia off a hard boiled egg, peeled it, and that milky translucent skin he put over his eyes to make himself look blind, like the first contact lens and i was obsessed with lon chaney and i saw the movie about him with with jimmy cagney and dorothy malone but i i was obsessed now we all know him from putting the hairpins in his nose for phantom of the opera the silent screen phantom of the opera but he did like 50 weird movies uh with great strange characters in them old blind men and beggars with mutated faces half burned off and he did these extraordinary makeups and i was obsessed with that and that, those pages in that book and i think in the back of my head when i said yes to wes craven and i was intrigued by the challenge of the makeup for freddy krueger i think that that little boy 
little Robbie England was still alive in me. And that was a challenge that I wanted to meet. Part of that comes from theater because you have to do your own makeup in the theater. But part of it was all those hours staring at those pictures of all those different makeups, you know, of uh, of Lon Chaney. And I think that that along with my my tradition of having to do your own makeup in my old tackle box, my fish tackle box that I had all that stole wife, my wife's makeup and took it to the theater when I was a young stage actor, you know, and, and did, you know, different makeups for the different roles that I played on the theater. I think a combination of those were part of my my sort of fanboy uh, base that that was sort of talking to the snobby Robert England who was only doing art movies and, and made him say yes to Freddy Krueger. Is it bad that I'm kind of tempted to do the egg thing now? Like I, I swear I, I won't do it. I won't put egg in my eye, but I'm kind of curious. Don't put your fingers in your eyes at all right now. I do a hard-boiled egg. Every time I do a hard-boiled egg and take the, the shell off, I think of that. I mean, it's in my mind. I think, how did he do that? How did he think of that? Commitment. Um, Son did of Lon, you... Lon Chaney Jr. is the Wolfman. And did one of the famous Frankenstein reboots as well. Did you ever, coming from that theater background uh, and that level of like commitment, try to learn to do the Freddy makeup on your own? No, I listen, I you get spoiled real quick. Coming from <laughs> theater where it's literally in your contract that you have to do your own makeup. Now you get help with hair. They, they will help you with hair sometimes, but, but uh, they do wardrobe, but you, you, you have to like, there's these union rules. You have to hang your wardrobe up, up a certain way every night for the wardrobe people. And it's the same thing with makeup. You have to be able to do your own makeup, your own age makeup and stuff. And you work when you're a young kid, you work with these old actors. I work with old English actors, you know, and I would see them do these great tricks of makeup and stuff. So that was like really something in me as a tradition and something I respected. But then to go to these, to the, the makeup guys that I worked with all have Oscars now. They're like the most famous guys in Hollywood. Some of them, they're, they're doing shows like American Horror Story, now uh, uh, Walking Dead. They did some of the biggest movies you've ever seen growing up. They did all those movies. They created Chucky, you know, they directed, you know, they produced Sleepy Hollow with Johnny Depp. Um, they, they've done just tons and tons of, of makeups and effects that you've seen your whole life. And it was just so cool hanging with those guys. Because that was a new experience for me, the makeup special effects guys. And they're a whole world of their own. And then you go to their shops. And I mean, I used to go hang out with the K&B guys. Whenever I had to do Entertainment Tonight or one of those shows, I would try to get invited to their shop because they had like, oh, they had the original Isuzu from The Exorcist, you know, the Iranian satanic sculpture. They have all that stuff. Plus, they have their own stuff. I remember I was working with Robert Hall a couple of years ago. And uh, what's the beautiful girl? She's the star of Serenity. Um, She was the star of Sarah Connor Chronicles. Uh, uh, I'm forgetting her name. But she was a robot. Remember, she's a robot. She's a Terminator. And Robert Hall literally had her topless her head her arms and her torso and then right under her belly button it just turned into the machine she'd been split in half and he had her hanging in his shop and you know i remember i it was so much i mean i was in my 
fifties or sixties then. And I just love seeing that, you know, it was so cool to me. Just, I, and I, the, all their shops are so cool. Kevin Yeager's shop, David Miller's shop, the KNB shop. That's was, you know, the N is N from Nicotero from walking dead. Howard Berger has an Oscar for Chronicles of Narnia, Kurtzman, Wishmaster, a million other movies, and did, did me for years. Um, but those guys, going, going to their shops, Bill Tarazakis' shop up in, in Vancouver. Um, I, I, I recently went to the Kurtzman shop in Atlanta. It's like the best loft, uh, man cave, uh, special effects stuff, perfectly framed posters of not only every movie he's ever worked on, but all of his favorites as well. And then all of the parts of the makeups and the creations all mounted and hanging around. It's like such a dream to go to those places. And you feel like you're 12 years old again, you know, your inner 12 year old boy revives, you know, you, if you've kept that adolescent innocence alive in you, you see that stuff and you find yourself just going, Oh, that's so cool, dude. <laughs> you, know? you can't help yourself because it really is. Those guys have managed to do something that they all always wanted to do and it makes them happy and they're so creative and they're so talented they're so good with their hands some of those guys sculpt as good as world famous fine artists i mean they're sculptors too you know uh they're just amazing amazing guys and they some of them draw really well it's just it, oh just a, great guys and, and that was that was part of my work that's why i never needed to do the makeup i just wanted to hang out with those guys and have them make me look cool you know we're seeing a lot of their phenomenal makeup work elsewhere, but it almost feels like to me in recent years, we've kind of lost that touch in the slasher subgenre. Do you see that kind of fading away and any thought as to, to why it isn't as big now as it used to be? We're going through a transition. Part of it is it, it should always be used, practical makeup effects. It There's a, a, a curve now, a transition into blending it with and enhancing it with special effects. Um, I've worked with guys who know that you're only going to see half the face and that's going to, the rest of the face is destroyed. Well, that destroyed part of the face, that's going to be CGI. So they only have to do half the face. So they won't, they won't do the whole face. That'll save money and time getting the guy ready, getting the actor ready. And, and so that's the kind of thing you want to do uh, is, is this is the new, the new frontier will be the blending of practical and CGI and animation and learning what works and what doesn't work. And sometimes there's too much CGI and it starts looking like a cartoon, but sometimes you can blend it or enhance it. Um, and, and when I see that done well, I like it. Uh, what's the one, there's some really interesting stuff. It looks animated to me, but it's blended with live action really well. Alita Battle Angel. Oh, yes. That's sort of, I think, the new state of the art. But they're going to go beyond that. They're going to, you know, it's like the whole idea of Lion King to me is it's inherently theatrical, right? So they should be larger than life. It should be folk art, like the play, the brilliant play conceived of by Julie Tamer. Or... It should be a really fun cartoon. I don't really want to see animals talking. You know what I mean? I would rather watch National Geographic, you know, the one on National or the, the one on whichever channel 
Discovery Channel about the mother and her cubs, as opposed to talking cartoon animals that are supposed to, I'm supposed to think are real, you know. It's it's like it, there's a time they'll figure it out, and there's a time and a place for it. You know, you can't have a, a real live dog do a stunt where he could get hurt, so you can do that new CGI dog doing the stunt. But then you should go back to the real dog. You know, <laughs> make the CGI dog look like the real dog. Don't make the real dog look like the CGI dog. I think that's the trick to it, and 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 it's the same way with makeups. I have a cat. He's knocking over my oh. light. <laughs> oh, your cat's here? Okay. Nancy's oh. knocking. Oh, oh no. Oh, there he is. Hi, <laughs> he's here. This is, this is what happens. <laughs> Goodbye, Dewey. <laughs> Do- Dewey is named after uh, David Arquette's character in Scream. Oh, Dewey, oh. yeah. I'll, I'll get another uh, pet and name him after a Nightmare character soon. You guys know the late, great Sid Haig. You know, and I go way back to a Roger Corman movie with Sid Haig. Wonderful teddy bear, great actor, great genre star. But recently, there was a a really strange, wonderful movie I've been sharing with everybody. It's a couple of years old now called Bone Tomahawk. Yes. (laughs) And it opens with Sid Haig and, and David Arquette as grave robbers which starts the whole movie, which is why everything goes to hell. And the two of them are so great in that opening sequence. They're like two of Beckett's, Samuel Beckett's clowns in Waiting for Godot. And then they violate this Native American sacred graveyard. And it just puts, sends the whole movie down this dark. But that director has been doing a lot of great work lately. He's one of the new top directors in America. But, you know, I, I told Sid and I told David too. Uh, I, I you know and I don't know if David appreciate. I just I just gushed all over David because he's really perfect in that movie. It's such a perfect setup for that movie. And they're a little bit Sam Peckinpah too. You know, like Sam Peckinpah characters from those great old seventies westerns of Sam Peckinpahs. But uh, yeah, that David Arquette's so great in that role. He knew exa- he's really on the right page there. You seem to have like so much maintained your your passion and enthusiasm for the genre coming from sort of that fanboy past you told us about through becoming a genre icon yourself. I'm curious, like if you had to, let's say you're talking to someone who's still stuck in the snobby phase and you had to give them like three movies to convince them to give horror a chance, what would be your starter list? Well, if they're in their snobby phase, <laughs> and by that, that's that—that's the actor, and it might be a great actor. It might be somebody we all love. But you see them on the talk shows, and they go, it's not really a horror movie. I don't <laughs> consider it a horror movie. It's more a psychological drama. <laughs> no, it's a horror movie, and if it doesn't work, it's because you didn't know it's a horror movie. Horror is a respectable genre, like the cowboy movie, like an action movie. It's it's a style. It's a thing. It's a thing. Um, I would tell them uh, to see The Innocence. 1961, Deborah Carr, Michael Redgrave, and brilliant child actors, English child actors. I would tell them to see Us. I would tell them to see Get Out. I would tell them to see Rosemary's Baby. I would tell them to see The Exorcist. I would tell them to see Wes Craven's New Nightmare. 
You know, I would, there's a lot of stuff out there that's, that is what I call gateway horror, you know, <laughs> and that's how you have to do it. But it's, it's some leftover thing. Um, you see, B movie, B movie doesn't mean bad. It's not a grade like A and B. <laughs> B means budget. B movie stands for budget. In Hollywood, in the 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s, you would go see a movie and you'd see two movies. For the, you, you didn't see one movie. You saw double bill. That's what double bill means. You got a cartoon, too. And you saw double bill. And you, a lot of times, the second movie was a budget movie. And many of those became the best movies. You know, the big budget movie was, was the other was the, was the top billed movie. The first movie you'd see at seven o'clock, you'd watch from seven to eight thirty. You know, then you'd go smoke a cigarette, then you'd come back and then you'd watch the second movie. You got your money's worth. And but wait, what they discovered over the years were their film noir, film or film noir. Those were all B movies. Those are all low budget movies. You know, they were and, and they used to call them programmers because they were part of the program. You know, you got your new movie, you got your new John Wayne movie or your new Betty Davis movie or you got your new Henry Fonda movie or your new whoever the big Barbara Stanwyck movie. And then there'd be another movie. And the other movie was a was was the B movie. It didn't cost as much. You know, it was a budget. It was on it was on a budget. But that didn't mean they weren't great. In fact, I think a lot of people sometimes work better when you're under the gun. And because especially nowadays with 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 all the CGI effects, they think that if a sequence isn't working, they can always fix it in post with CGI. And that's not always true. Sometimes you've got to fix it on the page. You got to get the writing right, which was my great blessing with Wes Craven, because Wes was a writer and director. Well, I just want to say you use the phrase gateway movie and here's my moment to gush. My gateway into horror was Dream Warriors and horror wow. has sort of become my career. So thank you very much. That was a wonderful gateway into you, horror. You picked the right one because, you know, Chuck Russell, a uh, terrific director. You know, he also did The Mask, which was a huge turning point in the sophistication of special effects and great, great second breakthrough after Ace Ventura for Jim Carrey um, and, and also and Cameron Diaz it made her a star as well and Chuck directed Nightmare 3 uh, and Chuck really understood it and really understands the sort of sense of fun and the sort of Saturday matinee thing but of all of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies that's the most popular I think it might be if it's not the biggest hit it's the second biggest one. And it is, if you took a poll, if you took a vote, I'm sure it's the fan favorite. It was exactly the experience you described, like sneaking in a horror movie at a sleepover when the parents were asleep, and I was just hooked. Well, it has some, it has some of the, the biggest classic moments, too. It has some of the best lines, uh, and, yeah. and it has, there's that sequence in it where the boy gets turned into a puppet. You know, and that's just like fingernails on a chalkboard. Yeah. Uh, oh. That really, 
works on a visceral level with people in the audience. And then you have the great fun lines, welcome to prime time, bitch, you know, and lines like that, which, which have become like iconic lines in the history of movies now. Uh, I made that one up, by the way, um, that, that came off of a, of a longer, more awkward line. Something like, now, Jennifer, you've achieved the big time. Just didn't sound like Freddie. <laughs> Bravo. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So Haley and I were just working on this list for Collider.com called the best slasher movies of the 21st century so far. And, you know, going over it, it, it doesn't feel like we had very many iconic slasher characters added to the ranks of a Freddy, of a Ghostface, of a Michael over the years. But of all the slasher movies you've seen of the 21st century, who would be your favorite to add alongside a Freddy? Well, I don't know because it might have been nineties. You know, I, I know that at least Manhunter was eighties. Uh, I'm not sure when uh, Silence of the Lambs. I think 90, it was the ninety-one. Yeah, ninety-one. We can't we can't use Hannibal Lecter, which I would use. I would choose him. But you know, I I I, I love that movie, The Descent. I don't know if that's considered slasher. <laughs> I we like had the conversation the other day. Yeah. We love the descent. And I like a lot. Uh, I, I think that movie should should rate up there. Um, I, I'm I'm trying to think of some other characters. You know, uh, I don't think you can consider Joker slasher, but Joaquin Phoenix has another movie where he plays a hitman that lives with his mother, and it's not really slasher. But it's a phenomenal character, and he's such oh a great actor. And it's so dark and 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 creepy. Um, I don't know. I think I, all the ones I like are predate predate the twenty first century. There's some great twenty first century horror, but they don't have that character that's really gone the distance. You know, I mean, all the ones that have gone the distance, whether it's Pinhead or or even like Little Chucky. Obviously, Jason and Michael Myers—they're all—they're all before. So it's—it's it's kind of hard. I'm trying to think. Um, you know, uh, I don't want to say Annabelle. Um, I'm trying to think if there's—I'm trying to think if there's some girls, uh, some recent girls that could play into that. Just some evil women, but they're all kind of like superheroes. Harley Quinn isn't—is—is is really more of a, yeah. So you can't really call huh. Harley Quinn. I've that, got one that I think you'll that's like. A great character, though. You know, we, we are I, both I in agreement that Leslie Vernon should be on the list. Leslie Vernon's great. What about <laughs> Silent Hill? What year is that? Oh, Silent Hill Nightmare. was early two thousands. Yeah, yeah I the Night Nurse from Silent Hill. I saw a girl do cosplay, and I saw her later do uh, uh, the clown from it. Same girl. I, I, I I'm not sure where she's from. I saw her originally in Sweden. And I took for granted that she was Swedish, but I, I think maybe she's not. Maybe she just went to that that Comic Con. But she did the Night Nurse from Silent Hill, and it was brilliant. You know, the pronated legs, you know, a little bit sexy, broken, that dirty wrap, bandages, that kind of retro nurse fantasy thing going on. You know, the sexy nurse thing, oh, just so strange and wonderful. And she'd worked out a whole cosplay dance of death with a little boy who turned out to be a professional dancer. But we didn't know that the first time she went after him with her hatchet. 
<laughs> I like that character a lot. That's a character that, that I, I did a movie uh, called Dead and Buried years ago. And, and Lisa Blount, who was in Officer and a Gentleman, she played the town girl, the proletariat town girl in that, along with Deborah Winger. Uh, Lisa, wonderful, wonderful actress. And Lisa, in my movie, uh, in Dead and Buried, and I have a very small part in it, but it's a cult classic, uh, Gary Sherman film, starring the late, great Jack, Jack Albertson. Uh, but Lisa Blount is sort of like the night nurse in that. She's the nurse of death, the death nurse. And she's really creepy. And, and, and it's sort of like origin story uh, for Silent Hill, you know. But I, I really like I really like that character. It's just weird, you know. There's some great horror recently, and there's some stuff that's fallen through cracks, you know. There's stuff that 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 needs to be sort of revived and found and and embraced in the last ten years. Uh, I did one uh, that I'm really proud of. I mean, I'm really proud of Leslie Vernon, but the one I'm most proud of is I did with Finn Jones from Game of Thrones, and uh, uh, it's called The Last Showing, which is an unfortunate title. Everybody likes this movie, but that's the English-British way of saying, Last Showing is the British way of saying uh, uh, Midnight Movie, Last Screening. And Last Showing sounds like a Project Runway thing to me, you know, like a passion <laughs> And so it makes sense here, but it was a hit in Australia, but it's really good. And uh, it, it, it's in it's not it, it, it's kind of slasher esque, but I'm the old projectionist who gets uh, retired prematurely because he refuses to participate in the digital training classes, even though he knows how to run the digital projectors. And he's forced to work off his retirement in the uh, snack bar. He volunteers for the midnight move shift, the last showing. And he makes, locks down the theater and makes his own horror movie. So check it out. I know what I'm doing that. this weekend. Yeah, I know. I feel like we should, we should follow back up on this and talk about it on next week's episode. <laughs> right around there, yeah. It's a good little movie. Finn is great in it. So am I. <laughs> uh, so, Haley, we're winding this down a little. Do you have yeah. any final questions before we go into the usual wrap-up? Oh, man. I... A million. I know. We have to get Haley a new backdrop. Oh, gosh, I know. I know. I don't know whether that's a tarp or whether that's a garbage bag. <laughs> it's totally se I see it's sequins glittery, sir. What is glitter? Glitter. All right. Okay. <laughs> Tone it down Ginger for a second. <laughs> no, I do need a new background. I'm working on it. We're all doing our best here. All right. Uh, <laughs> No, we I guess we can't compete with you with the background. It's no, a problem. that's hundred Because now I need to track down a Freddy pinball machine. I'm in, I'm in a hundred year old house, and this used to be the master bedroom, but we turned it into the office. So that's where I am. <laughs> that's the old retro pinball machine there. But it's all really some really fun photos. I mean, I love posters from overseas. I love finding you know great Indonesian, Japanese, Italian. Posters of all my movies, not just Freddy, but anything I've done. But we got lots of all my my awards are all over there and stuff. But it's just an, it's the room. To, it's always a mess in here. But, you know, it, it's that's because we really work out of it, you know. And, and I don't understand how these people that do the, the uh, Ikea 
uh, uh, living spaces, offices where you don't see a single piece of paper. It's just all clean and plain. That looks to me like somebody that's not really, doesn't really have a job. <laughs> offices, you should always have a messy room in the house. So then it's easier to keep the other rooms clean then, you know? <laughs> Hi. So do we want to go to the final ones? Even I, I think so we'll do this one really quickly because you've already given our viewers so many wonderful recommendations on this episode. But we it's usually like a mini film class. That's what it felt like. But we usually always like to wrap up by asking our guests if they've seen any, and it doesn't have to be newly released material. If you've seen any genre material, whether it's a TV show, a movie, a book, anything at all that you want to make sure is on our viewers' radars. Well, I, I think everybody should see. Outsider. Yes. Uh, the one, uh, uh, is that Showtime, I think, maybe? H HBO. HBO, uh, the the uh, Stephen King. Uh, A, I love Ben Mendelsohn. Uh, and Cynthia Arrivo, who was nominated for an Oscar for Harriet, okay. is brilliant. But all the other actors are fresh to me, and they're wonderful. And it's subtle. And it's done like a procedural, but it's that new kind. I think they're going somewhere new that I really like, which is treating the occult and the dark and horror, but treating it as a legitimate procedural like X-Files to begin with. And then once you've exhausted every rational piece of evidence, there's nowhere else to go but down that dark rabbit hole doppelganger but doppelganger as a virus not oogie boogie oogie boogie but what if we duplicated as a virus and then our duplicated virus has to survive because that's all it knows how to do but i love the little bit of voodoo stuff and the fact that the doppelganger, we learn the doppelganger in Egyptian culture and in voodoo culture and in Haitian culture and in, in Native American culture. You know, the legend of the doppelganger has been around for a long time. And what does it mean? And what if it's a self-replicating virus? Ooh, ooh, it's so creepy. And the all the actors are so good in it. But it also has a wonderful thing in it. It has the flip of the characters. The man is the skeptic. Whereas in X-Files, he's the believer and the woman is the believer. Whereas in the, in the, in the X-Files, Jillian was the skeptic. And I like that flip, you know, and I like the fact, I like watching everybody finally give her respect, give Cynthia Reaver what it takes. What's that line, you know, the line in the, in the dirt where they have to give her respect while they're discovering what went wrong there. But it's a really good cast, really good actors. So everybody should probably, while we're all stuck at home, that's an easy one to binge, you know. And I think that's probably the, west, the best way to watch it. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's a little slow. You can almost hear the clock ticking in it for a while. And then all of a sudden, tick tock, tick tock. Yeah, that can't be right. That can't. And then all of a sudden, you're on that next level. Uh -oh, uh oh, and they're making you believe so much deeper, you know, because stuff is getting getting explained. There's no explanation. They try to explain it. They can't explain it. And about the time she sees Jason Bateman in two places at the same time on two different CCTV cameras, that's about the time you go, oh, oh. 
So that's something I, and that's really, again, that's for the snobs, you know, people that don't think they like Stephen King. That's a gateway show. Because that's really, and there's some creepy stuff. In there. There's so some good, good creepy stuff in that, yeah. So I, I highly recommend that. Cynthia uh, Rebo is upcoming, so talented. Upcoming is that. upcoming is going to be um, this new Penny Dreadful with Nathan Lane and uh, the girl. Is it Natalie Dormer from? Uh, yes. Yeah, from uh, 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 Game of Thrones, and it looks real good. And it's again these everything's kind of these new hybrids of the procedural and horror, you know. And I like these hybrids because they're just going to get they're going to get better and better and better. Like the original Penny Dreadful was a hybrid. You know, I like that. I think they're going somewhere with these. And I think the fans have to support them. And if they haven't already seen them, Penny Dreadful's only a couple of years old. It's great. And it's really great to binge. I binged it. My wife and I binged it. And and you can hold all the characters and all the subplots in your head. And don't be afraid to watch it with subtitles. When it's English, even though it's in English because of the accents, don't be afraid because there's a lot of poetry and they use different words. They use, you know, old time words and you won't know what they mean. And so when you see them written out, you go, oh, I know what they're talking about. That's another word for wheelbarrow or another word for coffin or another word for surgical knife, scalpel. And uh, but there's just such good actors in, in, in both those shows. So I'm I'm really encouraging people that they haven't already uh, it's worth it to see Penny Dreadful. Get ready for the new one, and uh, check out uh, Outsider. And, and the actors are just great in both of those. Well, and speaking of subtitles, I was looking through your Twitter before this to do a little research. You seem to be quite a fan of the Lighthouse as well. We have that in common. Well, the Lighthouse. Not here's the thing about the Lighthouse, and I just got to say, everybody's wonderful in that. But I was on a roll with Robert Pattinson performances. You know, the, the two guys that are up for Uncut Gems for the Oscar, mm. they did a movie called Good Time with Robert Pattinson, just which is a great movie. And Robert Pattinson's great in that. And he's great in Lighthouse. And then I saw him in something else he's great. That guy is, he's just an amazing actor. And I never would think of him as, as Bruce Wayne, as Batman. But now I have such respect for him and, I, and I'm such a fan that I'm really looking forward to see what he does with Batman, you know, because I, you know, I'm such a Christian Bale fanboy fan for Christian Bale. Christian Bale can do anything. I mean, you know, Ford versus Ferrari, anything. You know, I've been a fan of Christian Bale since he was a kid. Empire of the Sun. He's dangerously good. But uh, now Robert Pattinson is really blowing my mind a lot. And uh, if you watch The Lighthouse with subtitles, you get into that old-timey sea shanty dialogue. And it really makes it fun and dark. And it's much more, it becomes then much more H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. You know, <laughs> yeah. talking about H.P. Lovecraft earlier. I think The Lighthouse is pure H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Haley, you want to take so, that, that final that question? Right? You guys have seen The Witch? Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> See, these are movies. Well, these are, they're, but they're not, they're not slasher movies. But they're also, they come under, they fall under the umbrella. And they're in the shade of horror. 
and the occult. And I think audiences just have to support them. We were talking about the movie The Babadook in that same sense also. Uh, Babadook, and what I like about The Babadook is it's so original, you know. It's fun and it's original. Hey, my pal Lynn Shay, you know, with the Insidious movies, you know, she, you know, and uh, I love, I love the ones with the, uh, oh gosh, I'm forgetting their names now, uh, Vera Farmiga and uh, uh, the Conjuring. Conjuring movies. Yeah, I love them. I mean, I like those. I love that. I love retro horror. You know, I love it. We can go back. I was talking to somebody earlier who had just found uh, like a hundred and fifty year old news article on the Amityville house. Now, I always thought it was like 1960s or 1970s, right? Yeah. They were writing about that piece of land a hundred and fifty years ago. Where's that prequel? <laughs> I'm on Long Island right now. I got to be watching some more Amity stuff while I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. All right. We got one more question for you. Yeah. I'm going to throw it to Haley. It's a very, very important one. Uh, I feel like maybe I know the answer based on some previous exchange. But do you have pets? We take this very seriously at Witching Oh, House. yes. Well, my wife has worked for over 30 years, volunteered at the animal shelter in Laguna Beach Canyon. And uh, we're on our fourth or fifth rescue. But here's my, my new advice. I have some great advice for you guys. If you have any friends that have an ill pet and it's a small pet, like not tiny, not chihuahua small, but like under, let's say, 55 pounds, our little beautiful girl, our rescue girl, our little brat, she, our little brat uh, got cancer in 2018. And our vet told us she's going to go down. She's going to lose her hair. She's going to lose a lot of weight. She's going to have diarrhea. And then you're going to have to know, you know, they don't tell you when they're in pain and then you have to put them down. Well, I can afford medicine. And, you know, like medicine is growing every day. Veterinarian medicine, all the biotech industry is booming. But veterinarian medicine and, 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 and veterinarian care and operations and everything is booming we got her chemo, her little chemo pills, and she takes them, you know, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Well, what is it? We're, we're half, we're into spring of 2020. She hasn't lost a pound. Her poops are normal. Her hair is beautiful and silky, and she has a glossy coat. She, we give her a pee pill, which makes her chemo go through her quicker, you know, it's only costing us $40 a month. That's $10 a week, you know, and we got another three and a half years out of her and she's like a puppy. So this is something to know that gives you hope and stuff. If you've got, and I'm only recommending it for medium size and small pets, because I know that the chemo works for that size metabolism. But anyway, she's right down here on the floor on her, on her favorite cushion right now in the office. What's she her name? Like, her name is Maisie. Oh. She looks like the RCA Victor dog. Maisie, come, come on, Maisie. Up, 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 Maisie, up, 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 up. Maisie. Can you see her? Oh, no. She's I, I think she needs... Frame. Can I oh. Oh, a little bit. Oh, my God. Oh. It's a Maisie dog. Yay. Oh, okay. I think I knocked it from my poster. But anyway, that's the famous Maisie. Yeah. Oh. Well, 
We have to let you go, but thank you for your time. Thank Maisie thank so for her much. time, too. We well, greatly appreciate okay. it. Right. <laughs> so Feed your kitty. Wash your hands. Feed your kitty. Yes. All, all of right. that. And also, Social another thing distance. you guys should do, you okay. should all go check around. out True Terror. Go check out True Terror. <laughs> it airs on Travel Channel every Wednesday night at 10 p.m. Do not miss it. Robert, thank you again for your time thank today. You. Yeah, there's for a really great segment tonight. And all I'm going to say to you is... Anthony Perkins, psycho. Mother! Mother! Check it out. <laughs> that was the best tease you possibly could have given right now. <laughs> For myself and Haley, thank you to everybody watching this episode. You've officially survived the witching hour. Napa know-how. Get all the quality parts you need at your locally owned Napa. Because right now, when you order from Napa Online, you can pick up curbside at your local store in just 30 minutes. Or get your order delivered direct to your door with free one-day shipping and over 160,000 quality parts when you spend $35 or more. Quality parts delivered quickly and safely. That's Napa Know-How. Napa Know-How. At participating stores, standard ground shipping and exclusions apply. Shop Black Friday week deals Sunday through Friday at Kohl's. Plus, get $15 Kohl's cash for every $50 spent. And take an extra 15% off. Get the big one throws, $849. Toastmaster small appliances are just $214 after rebate. And Fitbit Versa 2 is $129.99. Plus, take 30% off Lego, 70% off fine jewelry, and save on boots for her, $16.99. Plus, get fast and free store pickup. Shop Black Friday week deals at Kohl's and Kohl's.com. Select styles. Office valid November 22nd through the 27th. 15% off with promo code ENJOY15. Lego and Fitbit. Office and coupons do not apply. Some exclusions apply. See store or Kohl's.com for details.